Everybody. Welcome to episode 23 of the In the Flat Podcast. I'm your host, Tony Kill, joined again by Ben Parker with Jordan Schultz out on assignment. Uh, this week, we continue our college football origin stories with an interview with our very own Ben Parker. We also dive into the college football news and answer some of your questions. So let's start off with some of those news. Uh, this is an interesting one. As a Notre Dame fan, you know, Joe, Joe Buck, um, you know, play-by-play announcer, um, basically is getting traded for the Ohio State Notre Dame game. So Joe Buck is, is going to ESPN from Fox, and in turn, ESPN um, sends the rights to this game to Fox. And from what I've seen on the message boards, you know, if this happens, this can mean that the game is now at 12 p.m., which a lot of the fans are upset by. They want a nighttime game with all, all the lights and all the pop and circumstance. So... What do you think about a deal like this? I've never seen a deal like this before where uh, a announcer or play-by-play guy is going to trade it for a game. I, I, I've i never seen anything that's different like this. I, I enjoy it. So um, now me personally, I guess I'm in the minority. I like day games for college football. That's just my preference. So I actually like the 12 o'clock start or the 2 o'clock start, whatever. But I understand a lot of people are doing stuff during the day and they, they do like the, the, the nighttime primetime starts. It feels bigger. Anything after dark just automatically feels bigger. Or if it, if it finishes after dark, you know, I, I get that. This is going to be a huge game. Um, no matter who has it, Ohio State, Notre Dame, it's going to mark right there toward the start of the season. Um, and then, you know, you're trading for <laughs> you're trading for Joe Buck. It's fascinating. Uh, there's a lot to cover here, but I, I like it. It's it, To me, it's, it's a lot of fun to talk about. Yeah, I mean, if you're if you're giving up a you know a good play by play person, at least get something in return. So they're getting a probably probably a top game of that weekend. So I mean, that's, that's a pretty good trade. Um, as a Notre Dame fan, I like the 12 p.m. start because it's in Columbus, and I, I'm guessing the fans are less rowdy at 12 p.m. than they are at night. Um, so I'll take it. Uh, so hopefully it gives us any advantage we could we could take in that game for sure. Yeah, uh, you would think so, right? I, as a road as a road team, I've always liked playing in the afternoon better than the, than at night. I, I just think the atmosphere tends to be more electric at night when you're actually there at the at the stadium. I'd rather be playing as the road team in the afternoon. I just don't think it's quite as hooked up in the afternoon. Yeah, no, I I t- totally agree. Like the crowd has just been drinking all day. When you get to a night game, they're all rowdy and ready to go. It's in their lights. It's prime time. Everybody's excited. Um, you know, you see the whiteout games and all that. Those all happen at night. So, you know, in the daytime, it's more subdued, especially at noon. There's not as many people drinking. There's, you know, they're just getting up, getting ready, you know, especially the first game of the season. You know, you the players are probably wrapped up for it, but then they're going to be a little rusty already. And then you start at 12 p.m., you know, they don't have that as much time, I think, to mentally prepare. So be interested to see what this does to both teams. You know, I doubt it's much of an advantage either way for either team. Um, but that first, you know, couple couple drives could be worth something to watch for sure. Um, okay, I wanted to talk about this one. So apparently, you know, Stuart Mandel reported this from the Athletic this week. There's a um, five-star recruit in the class of 2023 that signed an agreement with like a collective that could pay him more than eight million dollars for four years. If they basically if they sign with that that college, that 
they don't give the details of who that the name of the person or the college, but apparently this recruit will be paid $350 immediately, followed by monthly payments escalate to more than $2 million per year. Um, now I've been reading and watching the message boards, rumors, and it looks like um, the player in question is uh, Nico uh, La... Okay, I'm not going to be able to do his last name, but he's, um, he's from Lama Liva from West Coast. He's a quarterback on the West Coast. He's one of the top-rated quarterbacks, probably in the top five of all recruits for 2023. And the rumor is he signed with he's going to sign with Tennessee for that amount of money. Now, obviously, Tennessee has been out there in the recruiting front with handing bags of cash to people before it was legal. So um, this doesn't surprise me that they're coming up with trying to get a quarterback. But it's it's interesting because the whole point of NIL was that this was not going to be allowed. That you could have, you could have paid someone money to sign with your school. You could, as an athlete, use your name and like this to make money while you're at said school, but you're not supposed to tell somebody, hey, I'll give you $8 million if you sign with us. I mean, that's a lot of money. That might be more than you make in the NFL if you're not a great player, you know? So um, that's interesting to me. Something to really watch. And I, I, honestly, if it comes out and they find out, I, I think NCAA eventually will do something about this. But then again, maybe they won't. They, don't, they seem to be really hands-off with the NIL deals. So uh, what, what do you think about this? Is this seems... Like something's really off with this to me, but what do you think? I have so much to talk about here, and, and I'll, it'll take me a couple minutes. We can go back and forth. But first of all, you know I love NIL deals. I, I think they're great for the players. Great, they, they open up so many doors that players have never had for decades. But this is crazy, all right? And, and this is, I hate to use the word abuse of the system, but this is, this is about what it is. This is a circus. This is a sideshow. This is ridiculous. I mean, $8 million for one guy for four years for college ball. Um, this, this is where you start to see people and franchises or teams who are desperate. And they're going to reach out there and they're going to set the market at unbelievably high levels where some uh, universities and colleges just aren't even going to try to jump into that at all. And it, it, it's set to where if you want to try to get into it, man, the money is insane. I, I see this in the NFL a lot. You just mentioned how much would an NFL player make. If you're, if you're a bench player for the NFL, you're going to be making about $950,000 a year, give or take. That's eight years of salary for you as a pro. Um, that, that's, that puts into perspective what kind of money that this guy potentially could be making. And it, it's, it's just way too high. And, and this is where, and you mentioned the NCAA coming in, this is where it, you do need limits. And, and I don't suggest super stringent limits. But there, are, there do need to be some kind of caps set in place to where if they're going to do this at all, if they're going to allow universities to set this kind of stuff up, it, it needs to be spread out a little bit better than one guy gets eight mil and everybody else gets nothing. <laughs> I mean, like there's something eventually and eventually they will, but it's going to be a process. It's going to take a lot of time for things like this to settle down. Um, it really is. Yeah, no, I, I agree. It's, I mean... Yeah, I think Tennessee obviously is desperate to win. And so they, they, they're desperate to get a quarterback, and this is one way to do it. Um, be interested. I, I just, if that comes up the truth that this guy is – because I think originally he was rumored to go to Oregon, um, which obviously they could probably match if they wanted to. Um, you know, but then you get to a whole bitty more free agency. It's just – it's icky to me for college football. I, I just don't want that in my college football. But I'm okay with everybody making money off their name. I have no problem with that. It's just – Right. I mean, this is really going to turn into like some school could spend hundreds of millions of dollars if they wanted to. There's no cap. There's got to be something put in place. But 
you know, something we've been talking about all year, we'll continue to talk about it. I, I just, I don't know how this is going to end up going anything but good. I think eventually it's going to be harder and harder to put the toothpaste back in the, in the tooth, in the paste bottle, whatever you call it here. I just don't, I, I just don't think it's going to, you know, be able to be happy. So NCAA needs to make a decision on this pretty soon. They're just so quiet on it. They do, but it, it's not going to happen soon enough. What's going to happen at some point, we're going to see some university put together a super team like the 27 Yankees because they're putting out so much money to bring in the best athletes. And then everybody else is going to get so sick of it that they're just going to demand that the NCAA finally step in and start putting in some caps and limitations. That's probably the way this is going to play out over the course of the next five to 10 years, to be honest. Yeah, yeah for sure. Hey, speaking of NIL, I don't have it. I didn't have it on our like pre-read list here, but I don't know if you heard, but there's a, a Florida player is a freshman at Florida that um, is sitting out because he hasn't got his NIL that he feels like he was promised. And um, I'm like, oh man, this is a whole other thing. Schools may lure you in. I don't know if I say Florida did this. It could have been like a, a booster. It could have been somebody else saying, hey, go to Florida. I'll give you this amount of money. And he's not getting it. So he's sitting out. And it's just like, that's just crazy. They're now they're now just sitting out because they're not getting NIL money. And that's a whole other, you know, lens on this this whole problem that where, you know, there's got to be something that you could do. Like if schools, one, that's why schools should have been able to promise you anything. Uh, you should assign, that's why you shouldn't sign somewhere because you're promised you should make money off your name and whatever you make, whatever is whatever you make. But this is never a problem I see with the whole promising of money. It's, it's going to get crazy and eventually it's going to get legal because the very second money is involved, you now have business involved and that means lawyers are going to get involved. So at some point you're going to have kids suing a booster who promised them something and didn't pay, or you're going to have a kid suing the university who promised them something and didn't pay. That, that's all part of this, this giant package that we're dealing with and we're just getting started. Some of it's going to be great for people. And some of it's going to get really ugly and nasty over, over time. Uh, there's, there's no question about it. Not sure. Um, this is a quick update. I saw this. Uh, you know, we talked about this, I would say, a few weeks ago with uh, SEC possibly doing their own playoff. Um, not happy with the whole um, college football committee. Um, so it looks like um, in a recent interview, Greg Sankey said he is not happy with the playoff committee said he is less less than willing to make concessions this time around when they start talking about the next form of the playoffs. So it seems like they're going to go in with a, a goal. If they don't get that goal, they're going to move on their own terms is what I kind of got, kind of read in between the lines there. So I think it's going to be much harder to get this playoff committee together to, to kind of make this happen. But we, I, I don't think that's surprising. I think SEC feels like they are the, the key linchpin to all of college football. So we're not surprised me that they're, they're tired of playing these games with some of the other conferences. Um, you know, back to our point from, you know, a few weeks ago, though, it does, sure does seem like SEC is trying to move into their own, their own playoffs, doesn't it? It, it does. Now, now, me personally, I, th there's an old phrase that you can't be king of a castle with no one in the castle, or you can't be the king of an <laughs> island if no one is there. To, sure. to me, it's, it's, it's almost ridiculous that the SEC or somebody associated with the SEC would even mention their own playoff. I, 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 people would watch it, but now you're going to have split championships like we used to have <laughs> decades ago where the SEC produces a championship, a championship and everybody else produces one. I, to, me, to me, it's a lot of SEC saber rattling, which they have been very good at over the past 30 years. 
Um, now, are they the biggest dog in the pack? No question to it. And do they have a lot of pull? Yes. But unless they get the other groups to go along with what they want, ultimately they're hurting themselves too. Um, so they might can put a hurting on all the other conferences and, and you know, from a money standpoint, but uh, they, they've got to do some give and take as well. They, they cannot just dictate to everybody else because everybody else has a lot of money involved, a lot of teams involved. Um, it, I, that sounds more like saber rattling to me than it does anything else. Yeah, no, totally. Uh, be, as always, we'll be following this for the rest of probably the next two, three years as they yes. work out the playoffs. So. <laughs> um, all right, this was an interesting one that I saw that the MAC conference um, had announced a new partnership. So they, they announced a new um, statistical data partnership with Genius Sports, which is a UK-based firm that handles like data and sports betting information for the NFL and other professional sports leagues. And so kind of researching, I think this is the first of its kind for any of the college football conferences or leagues. Um, and I guess what's going to happen is Genius Sports will manage and market the league's games data, which will you know, potentially bring in a new revenue stream for the MAC, um, which also, this will also provide like integrity services for sports betting activities. So my interpretation of this, because there's not a lot out there right now, is that they're going to really allow more of the betting on like stats, like you know, from the various Mac players, like you can, like, who's going to have the most touchdowns? Who's going to, will this person rush for 250 or less yards? And then they'll be able to report accurately on that. That's my guess. I couldn't really tell what else it could be. I, if it's a betting, you know, it could be betting on, I don't think they're really pushing the betting on their own games. Obviously, I don't think the NCAA would like that. So I think it's more of this betting on statistics or their league, which can then bring in new revenue for the league. But, um, you know, and even I think the commissioner mentioned, um, Joel Steinbrecher mentioned that this is not about promoting gambling or sports wagering. It's really about taking back control of statistical data, which I don't know if that's the, the true, truest statement there. And Joel, because it's, I mean, obviously this is a gambling and sports wagering company that you're partnering with. So, I, you know, I'm, I'm interested to follow that. I think we're going to kind of follow this throughout the year as we get more data we'll share with, with you guys and, you know, maybe some different articles coming out from us later on this year as we get closer to the season or during the season. So what kind of data they're showing, maybe if there's any social media activity with this group, what that looks like, what kind of betting opportunities there are with the, the MAC conference now. And to see, I mean, it might be something that ever conferences that they see success with this one, that they, they want to join in the fund. So but we'll bring you more on that as, as we kind of get more information. Um. Another one, which I would say is more of a somber news, you know, I don't know if you ever saw this one, Ben, but um, Ohio State Center, Harry Miller, medically retired from football. Uh, so it is no, he had a long note. I, I, I encourage anybody who hasn't read it to go on Twitter and, and take a look at his note. But he talked about mental health and how he told his, his coach that he had planned to kill himself last year. And honestly, I follow a lot of the message boards. And last year, the Ohio State message board every week was complaining about the fact that why is it Harry Miller playing or why is he playing well or what's going on with him? Coach would have given them a straight answer. And this is really the reason why. And he even mentioned on there that, you know, he, he got tired of, of, the, of the words out there and he wanted to kind of let everybody know what's happening with him. Um, so, you know, I took a lot of courage for him to go out there and do that. I mean, I think more and more athletes are starting to do that today where, you know, they're not afraid to, to talk about their mental health and talk about, you know, issues that they're having and how they need support. You know, if you're in the spotlight, like a lot of these players are, and, you know, social media is constantly after you and, and you're getting all these expectations, the media is asking you all these questions, like, 
this message board thing wasn't just on a message board. It was on Twitter and everywhere where your name's constantly being mentioned and you're going through this. The last thing you need is people to question you and your integrity and your, you're willing to play a game. You know, that's all it is, is a game. And people are, you know, not thinking about the fact that this is life or death for him, the way his, his mental health is at. So, um, you know, I just thought it was something we should bring to light here and, you know, think about things before you go out and, and tweet at an athlete or, you know, talk about the fact that someone's having a bad game or talk about the fact that someone's not playing because you never know what's actually going on. Just think about, you know, if you had your own problems, your own mental health at your, your job, and somebody at just think about it, you probably done it at your work before. Like, man, where's this person at? Why are you not coming in? Why are you not covering their their end of the deal? You know, there could be something going on you're not aware of. I know when my dad passed away back in 2018, you know, I, I took me a while to really get back in the swing of things at work. I, I just wasn't myself. And I, I think my work definitely suffered. But you know, if I wasn't able to talk about it, get support from my, my leadership team at the time, you know, who knows what that kind of direction I would go in. So just think about that as as people are, you know, again, using social media and, and in the world today. So I wanted to pass that along, but Ben, I don't know if you have any you know, additional thoughts you wanted to add to the story. I, I think there's two sides to this. No, we'll start with the most important, and that's with Harry Miller. Uh, obviously, anytime somebody's struggling, and there may not be a reason why. I, I know past generations of people here in America, we always thought, well, if you're depressed, there must be a reason for it. And, and, and sometimes there is. Sometimes there is a death. And sometimes there is a tragedy or there is something that's bringing it, bringing it on. But for a lot of people, there isn't. And, and, and in either case, it's devastating. It, yeah. it triples the way you think. And if you can't think straight, you're not going to be able to do anything straight. And in some cases, in, in Harry Miller's case, you know, he's actually thinking about, uh, about killing himself. And this is not unusual. It's just unusual that we hear about it from an athlete that we, you know, plays for a brand that we know. So I, I hope for Harry's sake, and, and it seems like he is getting the help and he is getting it in a better direction, but yeah. sometimes this stuff lasts for years. You know, for, for some people, it, it, there's no quick fix to this. It, sometimes it's five, 10, 20 years that they deal with this or even the rest of their lives. And, and so I, I wish the best for him and for anybody who's dealing with it, because it, it, it's, it's almost like from what I've heard, a cloud inside your head that just you cannot seem to escape. So I, it's sad for him, but then you mentioned the flip side of it. We live in an age where the very second you think something, you can make everybody in the world aware of what you think. And, yeah. you know, in years past, if we had a bad thought or a negative thought or a mean thought, it kind of stayed in our head. But these days, we've got, uh, yes, it, it, it's going out there. It's going on Twitter. It's going on message boards. It's going on Instagram. We can put it out to a million different people in a million different ways. And a lot of those thoughts are better left staying in our heads, you know, because they're not productive. They are mean. They do tear people down. And, you know, I'm not a, I'm, I'm not against freedom of speech in any way. I'm not against expressing your opinion. But a lot of the stuff that people put out there, uh, there's no need for it. It's just raw emotions coming out. And, and it's better just left unsaid or untyped in, in, in a lot of cases. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And, you know, especially with you're thinking about college athletes, I mean, yeah, it's becoming more professional-like when you get NIL money and all that. But these guys are young. They don't they don't know how to deal with some of these emotions. They've never been in a limelight like this. In high school, yeah, it was one thing. But you're on national TV now answering questions, having hundreds of thousands of fans, millions of fans in some cases on a player where you're dealing with interacting with a lot of folks. And that's a lot. It's really could be overwhelming for anyone. Um, you know, with professionals, you you spec even with professionals, you you're like, oh, well, they can put up with it. They're going to pay too. 
But even then, I mean, maybe think a little bit about you need to you need to chat someone. Hey, we need to go kill yourself and get off this team. You know that kind of thing. You see that kind of stuff all the time. People hide behind their keyboard and post that. You know, that's one thing to say, especially from a professional point of view. Man, I really we need to put the, the backup in. Totally, yeah, that's your right. You're a paying fan, and you could do that. But why do you have to? Why do you have to go to the screen like, oh man, I, I wish death on you and all this stuff. And it's just you know, it's dark how some of our society has gotten with with social media. You know, but I wish that was one thing we could we could put back in the you know toothpaste bottle a little bit. But obviously, we're way far gone from that now. So, um, but hopefully, we we just learn to deal with that. You know, but also you know. If anybody's feeling any certain ways out there, make sure you feel free to talk to someone like therapists, mentors, counselors, loved ones. I think, you know, at one point it was looked down upon that, that you shouldn't do that. Like you should have talked about it. It's, you know, it's, it's not the, it's not the, it's not the cool thing to do is depression is not really an illness. You know, it's something you have to get over. And so I think we've come a long way and I think a lot more, more and more athletes that, that post things like this, I think the more accepting people will be in the world that this this kind of thing, you know, is happens to everyone and we all we all need that support from time to time. And you know, just we just gotta be better as a society with treating people the right way and supporting them as they go through these type of things. We do. And and I know this stuff is it's it's hard to tune out, right? Some people are really yeah. good at hitting that right nerve and it's hard to turn it off. But the more you can get away from that and go be around somebody who is supporting you or helping you, that can often be the difference in you surviving or not surviving. Yeah, no, for sure. All right. Well, again, we, we wish Harry Miller well. I you know, hope he gets gets to stay involved with the football program. And, um, you know, I hope he is, is on his way to recovery and, you know, gets the help that he needs and continues to get that going forward. Because like you said, it's not it's not an overnight thing where you're just, you're just better. And sometimes it takes people – you know, they don't ever get over things their whole life. So my this whole wish them the best there. All right, um, let's go to some mailbag questions. So, you know, I, as I'm kind of looking at the message boards that are out there going through Twitter, I always find some fun questions. So I just wanted to kind of shoot some of those your way, Ben. We could talk through them. Um, so recently, um, HBO Max released a, a winning time documentary about the Showtime Lakers. You know, obviously that was a, a big era, a lot, of, a lot of fans, you know, you know, it's got mixed reviews, but I thought, you know, got thinking and I saw some questions about this on, on online, you know, like which college team error would you like to go back and just relive in some type of documentary like this? Um, you know, there's a lot of different options. A lot of dynasties could be one year wonders, you know, it could be a lot of things just to see what happened. Could be like conferences, you know, or a downfall of a conference, the start of a new conference. You know, there's a lot out there. So I'll kind of open it up to you. Is there is there a team conference, anything like that in mind to you when um, when you think of this that you would love and just kind of revisit in a documentary or a movie type of format? There's two. One of them's very realistic and easy to do. The other one isn't. Now, the list you put out, I love. I think every team on that list, every era would be fascinating. But the one that jumped out to me was the 80s, the late 80s, early 90s Miami teams. You talk about a cast of characters. <laughs> these, these guys were talented. Uh, Notre Dame was about the only team that could keep up with them during that little time period. Um, it, these guys, these guys were winners. They were down in Miami. They were having fun every single night. They were practicing hard every single day. You had Jimmy Johnson, who was a character all into himself. Then you had Dennis Erickson, who wasn't quite as much of a character, but it was like the program just kept rolling on. 
you talk about stories that were going on inside the locker room, outside the locker room, everywhere. These guys were the star of the city. Forget the Dolphins, even though they had a, had a few stars of their own at that time. The Miami Hurricanes at that time were the stars of the city. Now, the only thing to them, there have actually already been quite a few documentaries done on the 80s Miami team. So it's, it's not like a, a big secret, but there's a, there's a huge stack of stories there waiting <laughs> to be yeah. unfolded. The, the other one of this, I would love to go back to, say, the 1920s and 1930s. Michigan, Notre Dame, the early genesis of those programs and how they got to be such brand names that won all the time. That was a wild era. Uh, we feel the wild, wild west era right now with NIL stuff and with Transfer Portal. You go back to the 1920s and 1930s, it was crazy. There were no rules at all. <laughs> you talk about people being able to do anything, and they did. You had everything from people coming back from the war and playing when they were 26, 27 years old as college students. You had people in college playing for high school teams. It was crazy. It was bonkers. And <laughs> I would love – it would be much more difficult. We're talking 100 years ago now. It would be much more difficult to do, but that would be a fascinating story as well. Yeah, no, that would be. I mean, because – how often do you see those those stories? I mean, you might get talked about in a small documentary here and there, but really to kind of dive into what that era was like and how we got started, I mean, that would be really interesting to see. And they kept leave in the 1920s as a year, 100 years ago. That's crazy to think about. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, it'd be, um, it's just crazy to think some of those stories. Like, I love to see like the Notre Dame Four Horsemen. You know, I know there's been some things on them, but really more in depth and talk to like their families and what their life was like after that era and you know all that thing so that'd be that'd be cool as far as my choice you know i i thought auburn 2010s uh was the interesting choice you know you may not think why auburn 2010s well i think about it i mean they had um someone poisoned their tree um they had all those crazy finishes like when they beat alabama they beat georgia cam newton came through they had all these players they have coach firings coach hirings yeah, this crazy games. I just, I just remember. It's interesting to see, especially since it's relatively new, just to have some good interviews with some of the players. You know what they're, why they went to Auburn. You know what they're doing now. It's kind of interesting to see, you know, documentary into that because there's so many wild games in in that era. They were able to go toe to toe with Nick Saban. You know, so it was just, it'd be kind of cool to see. Um, obviously, USC is a big one. I bet there's been a lot of, I would say, documentaries already on the USC team. Uh, but it, it's just always interesting to take a look at that era. Um, and it's me being a Notre Dame fan. I would love to dive back into the 80s. Since the first year I ever watched Notre Dame was when they won a national championship and they have not won one since. So I'm, I got to relive some kind of glory days there. So, um, so those would be mine for sure. But yeah, I think I would love to have more college football movies and documentaries out there. Um, you know, just, just to give fans more insights into various programs, how they get started and all that. Because, you know, I, I watched some of the last few years and like I didn't know the background of Notre Dame and Navy for example like when Navy, when Notre Dame was going to go you know bankrupt and out of you know we're going to be able to be a school anymore until Navy came in and saved them and did all their practices and drills and things wow. there at Notre Dame Stadium which is why that series continues every every single really? year Notre Dame wow. fans get mad at Navy why do we keep booking them but I mean they saved they saved us way back then so you gotta kind of pay that back you know Wow. Um, so there's a lot of great stories out there. I think that, you know, love to have like a college football station where you just talk about various college football documentaries and backstories and things like that. There's, there's so many stories that get lost to history. 
and you don't have time to look at them all, but yeah, cutting out a little sample of history and looking at those forgotten stories, there's some great stuff that hasn't been talked about in a very long time. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I thought this was an interesting question I saw. Um, if um, How well do you think a college football team would do if they did not, they decided we're not gonna recruit high school players anymore. We're just not gonna devote any money, any funds to it. We're just gonna focus on the transfer portal and junior college and bring in existing players already been through college. Do you ever envision a time where that would that would be successful or that would happen? If so, is there any current like big school you think that would work really well? And so I don't know if you have any thoughts off top of your head there. I have thoughts. No, they're not very well developed, but I love this question. I don't know who came up with this. This is my favorite question that I've heard in weeks and weeks. This is awesome. I have, I was a little disappointed. I didn't think of it myself, but yeah, you just pick up uh, the JUCOs or the transfers or, or, or those folks and, and you don't even deal with recruiting high schoolers at all. I, it's fascinating to me. I, I've always thought, you know, there's more than one way to, to accomplish something or to win at something. I think this could work, not for everybody, but I think if one or two programs took this approach and, and, and really, really got it uh, kind of uh, on, a, on a, a, a manufacturing system, if you will, kind of got it, all the details ironed out, had a good, uh, good kind of plant going there. I think this could absolutely work. Now, maybe not for the Alabamas and the Ohio States and all the top guys, they don't need it. But that's that second tier down. Yeah, I, I think you could take, you could go from a program who's struggling to one who's getting eight, nine, 10 wins a year. And, and I, I, I absolutely think this could work, but you know, not for everyone. Yeah, I kind of think of like, man, is there a team out there that struggles to bring in the recruits because of their location that they happen to be in? Um, like, um, you know, like in Nebraska, you know, they used to be able to get all the good players. Now they're having a little bit of trouble. Now, obviously they, they recruited well this year, but, you know, maybe a, a school like that, for example, man, I'm just tired of going against the Ohio States and Michigan's Notre Dame's of the world in the Midwest. I'm just going to focus on bringing in these SEC players to Nebraska. You know, it would be have to be a school like I thought about maybe your Vanderbilt because we talked about them, yeah, recently about how they what they need to do to succeed, but their educational standards would be probably too high to get most of these transfers and JUCO players in. But like a, a, a school that's a little more open and friendly to that kind of thing, just think about like I'm going to go pull like five to ten SEC players every year into my program, and then you would have that that like SEC skill on your team, which instead of going out to get a two or three star player in Nebraska, you may get a three star player from Florida, I think will be more, you know, will get you forward than a three star player in Nebraska. Because obviously a three player player in Nebraska, Florida is like a four or five star player in Nebraska, no offense Nebraska, but that's just kind of what it is because they grow up and they have the, the advantages out there in, in the South where they can play year round where they don't have the winners and, and things like that. So that's what I thought. I thought it'd be interesting, man. It, if there's a school out there that like, you know what, we, we just can't do this recruiting. We're going to focus. We're going to make relationships with all these JUCO schools. We're going to start like really marketing ourselves as a transfer destination. And those players that aren't getting playing time in ACC, SEC, they'll know they have a spot for us and they can play. You know, that's kind of what I was thinking. Yeah. And assembly line is the word I was trying to come up with. Yeah. <laughs> there go. Um, if you really focused on just that, and you weren't sending your staff out to recruit quite so much abroad, say down in Florida, Louisiana, California, wherever, 
and your your whole your whole system was focused on developing these players probably for two seasons is about how long you get them so quick turnarounds you wouldn't have most of these guys for four years um you know a lot of these guys just been for two years but you could just focus on quick turnarounds get them into the system have a system that doesn't take a long time to learn um so they could jump right in uh yeah i, I absolutely think that could work yeah, I mean, I'm interested to see if, if a school tries it. I mean, like, I'm thinking like, man, what if Coastal Carolina did this? Right. You know, brought on all those players in the South that people will probably love to go play near the beach. Yep. I mean, that's some of my basic good opportunities out there. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Kansas State's another one where location is a problem. Kansas. Um, but you can certainly offer playing time. Um, you know, I, I think there's several schools like that. Kansas. Yes, they, they, they can't recruit the high school players anyway, apparently. So we'll go out there and get some ready-made players. Might be better for you. But obviously, we have those challenges. I mean, you're, you're having to redo your team every year. If you miss one one year, man, that's almost a death nail for your team. So, but yeah, yeah. sorry to interrupt. But also, if, if, you could, if you had a moderate NIL budget, if, if things continue the way they are, you could offer moderate amounts to these JUCO players who probably aren't getting a cent somewhere else. Yeah. And you could kind of supplement that as a, as a, as an incentive program, basically to get them to filter over to your school. Um, it, again, somebody would have to sit down and figure out all the details, but I think it's there. Perfect. So, so, Hey, schools, if you want to bring me and Ben in and do some um, consulting with this, we'll definitely come on board and see if we can help you. We're with there. It, you know? We're there. <laughs> Especially if you're um, coastal Carolina and by the beach, we'll, we'll definitely take you up on that coastal Carolina. If you want to contact us. Yeah. And also in combination, I know we're just tossing, we're, you know, we're throwing ideas up the board here. If, if you're in a place that, that has a moderate amount of recruits but not heavily rated by other schools, you could still probably kind of so defend your little territory and get yeah. a handful of recruits to go along with all the JUCOs and stuff. So, Yeah, I mean, honestly, if you, if you spent your money just on NIL and then don't spend it on travel around the, the country, around other areas, and just focus on – yeah, like you said, your small little state that you're in or small little counties around you, that will be your focus on high school. The rest will be by transfer. I mean, it just makes sense, you know. Yep. Oh, we'll see. We'll see if anybody does that with this new world that we're in, transfer portal and all that. Um, here's another one that um, I, I want to say, uh, I forgot what the, what the site was. It, was. it was recently a question on Twitter, who was the best wide receiver that you ever seen in college? Um, there's obviously hundreds of different wide receivers you can go with here. And I don't know if there's really a right or wrong answer. When I kind of researched this online, there's a lot of players that were mentioned that are great in NFL, but I wouldn't necessarily pick them as my college player. So, you know, I, I try to think back of like who was really dominant in college. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. What's your, what's your, who would you say? Like, man, this guy is, is my, my goat for, for wide receivers. I, I didn't research this. I just took your list and, and, and looked at it because I love the list. But you're exactly right, what you just said. Uh, you had Mike Williams from Southern Cal on the list. This, this guy didn't do hardly anything in the NFL. I think speed was an issue. I think injuries may have been an issue. But in college, this guy was insane. He was unstoppable. He was tall. He was big. Nobody could guard him. Uh, he had highlight catches every single week. They threw the ball to him all the time. I loved watching this guy in college, Michael Crabtree, who had a solid NFL career, no doubt to it. Good, good NFL career, not Hall of Fame level, but very good. But Crabtree in college was so explosive. Had he not played for Texas Tech, had he been at the University of Texas or Alabama, 
everybody in the nation would have seen him every single week. And, and, and he played at Texas Tech, and he was so explosive there in college. Um, love that. Um, and, and then one of the other best guys that I liked was Larry Fitzgerald, Larry Fitzgerald at Pitt. Um, I, I think he was even better in the NFL, but his production at Pitt week in and week out was just exceptional. You talk about a guy that produced so much every single week. Uh, those are three that really stood out to me on that list. Yeah, I remember Larry Fitzgerald. I mean, I was like, man, if he would have went to whatever college, same thing, he would have been this really explosive. But obviously, Pitt really didn't have a great um, quarterback there. So I guess it followed him to NFL, though. He hasn't really had a great quarterback too often in the NFL either. So feel bad for him. But he, he's made it all right, I think. Um, okay. Yeah, it's okay. So um, for me, it was Randy Moss. I just remember him and Marshall just like dominating folks and – and, you know, backstory, he, he was supposed to go to Notre Dame, but, you know, I think he got into a fight in high school. And so he ended up not going. I was just like, oh, man, he could have done so much things in Notre Dame. But, yeah, no, he did. It was just think about him. Same thing. If he had been in a bigger school, it would have been even more dominant. But even at Marshall, he made it to the Heisman finalist. I mean, he was a he was a dominant player that really just took over games. Um, and it continued, obviously, in the NFL. Um, the one that me that stood out, and I remember just because. I was young at the time, younger at the time, and that's Peter Ward at Florida State. I just remember those Florida State teams that were, you know, winning national championships, getting to the, to the end of the season. Yeah. He would always make some crazy acrobatic catch, you know, produce when it, when the time is right. And I always just thought he was, man, he was a explosive player that obviously he didn't do much in the NFL, but again, that, it comes down to you're in the right situation and you're able to do what you need to do before injuries or everything else takes over. So those would definitely be my two, but obviously – you can't think about uh, Devontae Smith, um, Alabama. I mean, won the Heisman as a wide receiver. And he was just – I just remember that year. I mean, he was – that was probably the most dominant season I've ever seen a wide receiver have where he got the ball in the open field. He just weren't going to stop that guy. Um, I think he's a little too – think about NFL. I think he's a little too skinny right now to really be successful in the NFL. But, man, in college he was just – you know, there wasn't hardly anybody that could stop him. So those would be the three that kind of stood out to me at – I thought about like, man, when I think of wide receivers, this is what I think about for sure. We could go on all night, but you're right about Peter Warwick. You know, Florida State, Florida State had an athlete, a top athlete at every position back then. And Peter Warwick still stood out on the field. Um, yeah. you know, his name is lost to history because he didn't have a huge NFL career. But in college, <laughs> go back and watch some, some YouTube tape, you know. I mean, I'll oh, man, yeah. Like in the national championship game, I think he had some crazy catches. I think when they played at Virginia Tech, if I remember correctly. But, um, yeah, it was some um, crazy one out there. Um, since, um, you know, we talked about Tom Brady and, and the GOAT conversation a couple weeks ago, uh, we might as well talk about this. Tom Brady has unretired. So that was a very, you know, we barely made it through with, with, with him being gone. So I'm really glad he's back. Um, um, but with him unretired, if there's any college player that you like, man, I wish he could come back and play one season. Who would that, who would that player be? Is anybody – uh, jumps to your mind. Yeah, I'm going to go way, way back because we, we can YouTube so many guys from, say, the 80s forward, right, when VCR tapes really became predominant. Yeah. I watched those guys for my lifetime. But I'm going to go way back to a couple of guys. I, I would love to see Roger Staubach uh, play significant amounts of time uh, at Navy. And then, honestly, we have a fair amount of tape on O.J. Simpson, but it's more clips. You don't get to see him for as many whole games. And again, I know that's not, that's a persona non grata across <laughs> the United States. But before all of 
the legal troubles, he was one of the best football players who ever played. And watching him play at Southern Cal, I, I would have enjoyed that. And, and then even watching him play for the Bills there, I, I would have enjoyed that too. So. Yeah, good, great answers. I, you know, for me, just from an Notre Dame perspective, I love to see Joe Montana come back and, and play a season, you know, um, obviously not, he played before my time, but um, I, I really, you know, if I read all the clips I watched on YouTube and old videos and everything, I mean, he was just, you know, just as good at college as he was as in the NFL. So always love to see that. And the other one for me is Bo Jackson, man. It's just kind of like I was dominant in college. I would love to, I would love to see him some more, you know, what he would do in today's, you know, strength and conditioning programs, man, just pick what he would be able to do. That would be interesting to see as well. Bo Jackson is one of the all time, it's hard to describe it unless you unless you got a glimpse of it, unless you go back and look at it. Yeah. But you talk about athletes who could do anything. Bo Jackson was the guy. Uh, insane. Unbelievably insane. Yeah, no, for sure. All right. Well, that's the that's the questions for this week. So um, we're going to wrap this up with our um, next interview series and our college football origin stories. And so, you know, Ben, what's, you know, you're you're the, our fable guest this week. So thank you for joining us in this interview spot part of the podcast um but maybe take us back you know how did you fall in love with football like is there a time that you remembered was it from a from an age of being a kid or did you fall with it later on in life what, what was that love story like for, for football oh yeah absolutely i remember it clear as a bell 1989 1990 i can't remember which year but it was, it was right in those two seasons for sure and my dad did not like sports at all hated mm. them you could shut down every single sport in North America, and not, not only would he not notice, he wouldn't care if he did notice. <laughs> like he, he was into kayaking, he was into bows and arrows, he was into anything outdoors, but if it involved a ball or TV, he didn't care. But my friend, uh, his name was Josh Jordan, he lived next door, and he was a huge Alabama fan. This is back when uh, I, think Bill, I think Bill Curry was the football coach at yeah. the time, right before Gene Stallings gets there. And he invites me over one day to watch football. I'm like, what's football? And he's like, well, come and see. So I sat down. We watched Alabama play Tennessee. I loved it. I fell in love that second. I was like, hey, that's pretty cool. He's like, we'll come over next Saturday. I think it, next couple of weeks sometime we watched Penn State and Notre Dame play in the snow. And I don't even remember who won or where they played at. But it was fantastic. You know, Joe Paterno's on one side. Lou Holtz is on the other um Johnny Majors was coaching at Tennessee I remember the coaches more than the players but man I was I was in love with every bit of it and there was one week though that my friend didn't invite me over <laughs> and I said you know what the heck with it I, I think this might be on at my house <laughs> so from then on from 12 noon when JP Sports started until about 7 30 when ABC stopped broadcasting their game because you didn't have a night game back then yeah. Um, but from 12 o'clock to 7.30, that's where I was sitting, in my room, on my floor, with my little 12-inch TV, watching every single second of every single game I could get my hands on. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. I mean, I remember having, like, a little 10-inch TV, like, black and yeah. white. It was – I don't know if you remember those TVs, but it had, like, one with, like, a set player, a little TV, and then a radio. And yeah, it was, like, a little thing, and so – I was like, I hooked cable up to it. We ran a line and like, they put it in my room. I was so excited. Like I got this five inch TV. No. It was. Yeah. So I was like, that's like the greatest day ever. I just remember that. Yeah. So those are, those are, it's crazy. You think about what kids have today compared to what we had back then. We yeah. Had, yeah. And of course, of course, our TV at the time didn't have the remote yet. Um, yeah. And, and the knob, the knobs broke off. So we had yes. a rent. 
that we oh, same thing. It. Yeah, yes. you'd be like, oh man, uh, you know. But, that's what we talk about when we tell our kids, like we had to walk through snow to get to school. That's the kind of stories that they're, they're going to laugh at us about because we had to do that kind of thing, you know? So uh, it's crazy. Um, you know, was, you, was there any college football team that you kind of connected with or you just kind of like the sport in general? I, I, I don't know why. I don't feel like the uniforms or because they played against my friend's favorite team, but at the time, Tennessee. Um, I, I don't I, Heath Shuler wasn't the quarterback then, but he came in a, a year or two later, I think. And then I got to watch all the Peyton Manning years, which were so frustrating because he couldn't ever beat Florida ever. Um, and, you know, you got Steve Spurrier on the other sideline grinning like a like a donkey. You know, it drives you crazy. But, yeah, for, at the time it was Tennessee. But, man, it, it didn't matter if Tennessee was playing or not. If, if, if they didn't play, I was going to be watching somebody. Um, and I was going to be watching every single snap. At the time, you know, probably like you, we didn't have cable. You know, you didn't get the uh, the extra Saturday night game. You didn't get the Thursday night game or the Friday night game. You you had that little window yeah. of you know two or three games, and and you would go back and forth on commercials to catch both games. Um, but yeah, uh, Tennessee was the team, but I watched everything. So yeah, I mean, today you can watch every team play on TV. Back then, it was just like whoever the networks decided to put on. That's what we're stuck watching. So yeah, definitely interesting. Um, what do you, what is your impressions of college football today? Are you like, um, obviously where we do this podcast, we watch, we have fun with, with the sport, but is there um, any teams that you kind of root for today or is it more of this, a fan of the sport today that you just enjoy kind of covering and watching? Yeah. Th- these days I have no fa- favorite teams anymore. I somewhere, somewhere around the time that I had kids, I was getting so frustrated that my teams weren't winning <laughs> and I couldn't watch them anyway because I had a I had a whole bunch of other things to go do. Yeah. I kind of lost interest in my favorite teams, but to this day, I you know tonight starting at ten o'clock, I'll be turning on some game from the past season and and just watching that game, so I'm more ready for next year. I love it. I, I love I love watching all of it. Now, it's not the same as when you and I grew up. It's different. Um, yeah. Some of it's better. Some of it's worse. Um, you know, but I, I still I still love every bit of it. It's still a lot of fun to watch. Uh, at the end of the day, you can still sit down and enjoy a game if you want to. So I, I love every bit of it. Oh, yeah, for sure. Um, you know, I know you do this and some other podcasts. I think you have your own YouTube channel, right? So what do you enjoy about, um, you know, doing these type of things and really diving into the sport of football? If it's NFL stuff, I really, really like breaking down the financial side of it. And then breaking down the individual players and, and seeing who's winning and losing their matchups on every play. Yeah. If, we, if we're on the college football side of it, I love scoping out more and talking about the teams that are winning, the teams that have been struggling for 20 years, uh, you know, the coaches, the, 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 the programs whose fans can't seem to get their act together. They're always doing something crazy. There's a lot more color and human interest, I think, in college football. So I, I prefer to scope out on that and, and then get more technical on the NFL stuff. What's, you know, well, a question for you here. Like, let's say you had, um, you win millions of dollars and you can really, you know, jump into any, any dream occupation in this, in this field, you know, covering college football or professional football. What's kind of that dream job for you? Like, what would be like, ah, oh, I would love to do that, you know, and that would be my job going forward. Like, I would love to do this type of, type of work. I love all of it. I love getting on and talking with people um, who, who, who kind of know some of their, some of their stuff, their, their, their college football stuff. I love getting on and talking about it. That's a lot of fun. 
I guess my dream job, I'm not sure it exists, but maybe like assistant general manager to an NFL team um, where I could sit at home and do nothing but analyze games and analyze finances. Um, that way I wouldn't have to be at all the corporate events, be at all the, uh, all the owners meetings, yeah. all dealing, with, dealing with all the agents, you know, all the extra stuff that keeps you from actually focusing on building the roster. Um, I would love to spend 40 or 50 hours a week doing nothing but studying the roster building side um, while the real GM had to go around everywhere and <laughs> do everything else. Do all the you know? PR stuff, right? Yeah. Yes, exactly. Honestly, I think that's a better way to go. I'm sure there's there's some people that do this focus on the financial side, but, you know, I think this having it broken out that way, because I think the general manager gets pulled in a lot of different directions. He has to be able to take care of real-time issues. He has to be at these, these, these marketing events. He has to be where the teams are. You know, it's just a lot. And that you also have to focus on, hey, let's focus on the draft. Let's focus on free agency. Let's focus on, you know, today's financials, what we want to do in the future. Where's the plan of our team five years from now, one year from now, two years from now, that kind of thing. So it'd be interesting just to have someone that sits there dedicated and focused to it. And, you know, I would love to have like a same thing if I dream job. I mean, that's sitting at home and actually focus on something like that would be ideal because especially, you know, having kids, it's, it's hard to think about driving, flying over the country, you know, so it'd be great to sit there and focus on something like that that you would enjoy. So yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe you know, that job will open up for us. Future, so. Um, so yeah, no, I think, um, I think that's it for today. I, you know, thanks for um, doing that interview, Ben. I hope you guys are enjoying this little insights into all of us here. Um, you know, it gives us, gives us a chance to tell us about our love of, um, of college football, football in general. And so I hope you guys enjoy that, but until next time, we will see you guys soon. Bye.